Hello, everyone. Welcome to Freedom Talks. Uh, today, I am joined by Dr. Mike Karaginis and Dr. Jenny Hobson. And uh, primarily today, we'll be talking with uh, Dr. Hobson about uh, breathing. And her background is she is the she uh, created the Hobson Institute, um, and she is a European-trained physical therapist. She's traveled the world in search of the best cures and solutions for health. She is one of the select few to have the opportunity to work with Dr. Mariano Roccabato, a leading craniofacial TMJ neck and spine rehabilitation expert. Uh, Dr. Roccabato has entrusted Dr. Hobson with his course materials, and she is teaching his classes in the U.S. to dentists and physical therapists. Um, so, Dr. Hobson, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. And Mike, how are you? Excellent. Thank you very much. Awesome. So, uh, largely today, I think we wanted to center a little bit around uh, a conversation about breathing. Um, and you guys are both kind of very, very skilled physical therapists and a lot of experience treating kind of the upper quarter, TMJ and jaw and um, all of those uh, things. And so I want to start a little bit with um, Dr. Hobson, how uh, the Hobson Institute came to be and kind of uh, a little bit of your background, if you could kind of share that with us. Sure, sure. Thanks, Brady. Um, yeah, I'm a I'm a physical therapist, just like Michael, uh, and we've been colleagues for a while. I'm um, specialized in the head and neck in the TMJ region, and I did that pretty early on in my career. Um, and it really wasn't until about 2013. Um, my kids were, I guess, my my daughter was four and my son was two when I realized they had some breathing issues um, that I that were identified by a dentist that I had, I had known, but I went to a sleep apnea conference um, here in Chicago where I have my practices and I learned all about the tongue. And as, as crazy as it sounds, you know, I'm a TMJ physical therapist, but I didn't realize how important the tongue was to stabilize the airway and to stabilize the jaw position and the, the head and neck posture. So I, I ended up learning how to become a myofunctional therapist on top of being a physical therapist. So that's really what started this whole conversation was I met Joy Moeller, who was a myofunctional therapist that at this sleep apnea conference was looking in people's mouths with a flashlight. And I looked at her, I'm like, what are you doing? What are you looking at? You know, I look in mouths all day. So she was telling me about the palate and the tongue and tongue tie and, you know, how, how the size of the mouth needs to house the tongue. I began my journey in 2013 and realized that the PT world really did not understand that portion of health. And being a myofunctional therapist, you know, it, it connected so many dots around um, breathing and posture and why we end up with this TMJ problem that we're so, you know, Mike and I are skilled in, in treating the TMJ, but there's a part, the breathing is, is kind of like the root of it and why people end up having issues in it. So I decided to open up a center where I could teach patients, I could teach providers medical doctors all around how to diagnose, how to, how to identify who has an airway problem, who has a breathing problem. Um, and that's where it started in 2013. This kind of realization that um, 
breathing was a big uh, issue in a lot of people. I was kind of interested um, if you could just kind of explain to our audience and, and to me, quite frankly, just what is, um, what is the general population of patient that you see um, coming in? I'm sure it's very wide ranging, but if you could kind of give us an idea of who's coming to uh, the Hobson Institute with um, issues, um, what, what would you say the general patient demographic the would general, be? The general patients are patients that are kind of overbreathers, hyperventilators, people that breathe too often, too much, and a lot of times through the mouth, um, they might snore, they might, um, they might have sleep apnea, but they're tired all the time. And I will tell you that I was one of those people in, in 2013, I didn't realize I was tongue tied. I was, had my mouth open a lot. I was eating with my mouth parted, you know, not completely closed the whole time. Um, and I remember that I, I used to yawn all the time. And that those are the kind of symptoms that people don't realize that yawning, snoring, um, feeling tired, um, maybe clenching, maybe clenching their jaw throughout the day or night, um, but just always feeling kind of tired. That's a very typical patient. And, and people are very overloaded with what they do, what they, what, what they have on their plate. So they keep going and surging through the, the feelings of being tired and they think, oh, well, I'm just working too much or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm overworked and I'm tired because of that. Well, it's, there's a lot to it. And when we're stressed, big volume breathing is the big problem in a lot of people and they're just so not, not aware of it. After you kind of came to this realization, I guess, what is your kind of focus on the training for yourself and what have you kind of sought out? And obviously you're very accomplished therapist that is teaching other therapists how to kind of treat a lot of these things. And I kind of want to get into both of yours relationships with uh, Dr. Rockabato and his teachings and things like that and where that kind of fits into your training. Yeah, you know, um, so I, I became a myofunctional therapist through the Academy of Oral Myofunctional Therapy, the AOMT, and that was an academy that allowed physical therapists to also become myofunctional therapists. So I was very interested because I was treating that area anyway many of the myofunctional therapists go into breathing training through the Buteco Institute. Um, Patrick McNone is a mentor of mine and he taught me all about how the breathing aspect was part of the picture and a big part of the picture. Um, so adding those two aspects to what I already knew about how to restore the body's you know, head and neck health, it, it connected so many so many questions that I had around, you know, I, I also work on swallowing and, and it's one of those things that you kind of take for granted. Breathing and swallowing is, you don't think about it, you just do it. And many of us that are tongue-tied don't do it naturally without tension in the face and neck. And so if you swallow each time you swallow, say you swallow 15 to 2000 times a day, and you have a lot of tension in your face because of the way you're swallowing, you're going to end up with TMJ problems. And so that there's, there's an underlying problem of the autonomic nervous system, which is our automatic nervous system that we address in the breathing training. And 
So I've, I've learned from many different areas. Buteco is one, and it's, it's all about improving the volume, making sure that it's the right volume per breath. You know, people that snore and have sleep apnea or have asthma, for example, three, breathe three times the volume of what's normal. And so when you're in an over-breathing pattern, you don't realize it and your body needs to breathe that big. Just like if you eat too much, your body feels full only if you eat that much. Same with the breathing. So we teach people how to reduce their volume and to improve their the amount of breath that goes in and out of their body. And we make sure that we teach them how to use their nose and how to facilitate the diaphragm. So a lot of these mouth and chest breathers, those fast rapid breathers, they use all these muscles in their neck and their chest to breathe and they don't use their diaphragm, which is the, the main muscle to breathe. And that activates the fight or flight sympathetic nervous system. And so when you have that system going all day, it changes the way your whole body functions. So it's there's a lot to it. Um, I learned a lot about the neurology of breathing through the, the uh, Lois Laney, Dr. Lois Laney from the restorative breathing method that I'm, I'm training with her on. And that's all around the cranial nervous system and how to really calm down the nerves that are hyperactive and turn on the nerves that are, you know, underactive. So there's 12 cranial nerves and uh, there's a pair of them on each side of the brain and they need to function properly so that we breathe, we swallow, we see, we sense everything, you know, without any, any dysfunction. So you mentioned the, the Buteco method. Is that pronounced correctly? Yeah. And then uh, the myofunctional therapy. The one other one that was um, on your website was the Laney restorative breathing method. Was that the last one you had mentioned? Yes. Okay. And it, and it is, it's complicated. Um, Lois is a myofunctional therapist and very, very skilled at the nervous system. And, um, you know, it's one of those types of therapies that, um, like for example, right now I'm, I'm treating a, a traumatic brain injury patient and she can't swallow. She hit her head really hard twice and she can't even swallow spit normally. We, we've done the Blaney protocol, you know, the, the, that type of activating the nervous system and she's able to swallow naturally now and she's able to see and gaze and focus now. And, you know, if you, sometimes you try these techniques on people and it's, they're a little strange because you have to, you know, focus, you have to, there's little gadgets that you have to focus on that look like little, you know, emojis that make you feel kind of relaxed and calm and you're squeezing these stress balls and you got to stick under your tongue and you might have earplugs in, but all of it all together calms down the nervous system. So it, it's been, it's been a um, very interesting, I don't know how many years, about eight, nine years that I've been doing this. And there's the, the, the education around it, the growth around it is endless. And I'm really trying to get the medical doctors to understand that there is this problem that people are overlooked and, and they think 
they look fine, but they're actually not. Um, and I'd like more physical therapists to learn more about this, more speech pathologists to understand it, because those are the people that can really help, myofunctional therapists as well. So I, I'm, you know, I'm a breathing patient myself. So I've, I'm trying to better myself to better my patients and to, and I'm not alone. I'm a pretty typical person in this world. And I know many people that are just like me that are suffering. So we're just trying to reach those people and get them some help. So I, I, I kind of want to um, talk a little bit about uh, conservative treatment and kind of helping prevent maybe some of the surgical interventions that uh, for kind of both of you guys. But I, at first, I kind of want to kind of understand a little bit more how you guys met and how you guys uh, became acquainted and because um, I think there are some kind of overlapping um, things that you guys do in your kind of separate approaches, right, um, or aspects to, to help patients out. So could you just kind of explain how you guys came to met, Mike? Sure, sure. Um, I, I mean, I, I, for my first recollection, of course, is when I was going through uh, Dr. Roccobato's uh, initial course series through St. Augustine, and I Jennifer, I believe you had, I think you had completed them already or were close to completing them, right? Um, and uh, so, I mean, that was, I think, our initial uh, review. I, I love the fact, of course, um, uh, you know, Dr. Roccobato's from Chile, so they could communicate in their native language, which was fascinating. And the rest of us are like, what are they talking about? What's, what's going on? <laughs> and yeah. um, so that, that, was, that was wonderful. And um, uh, I mean, I really think since then, uh, we've kind of always stayed uh, connected between just our professional relationship, uh, the American Academy of Orofacial Pain, um, uh, and, uh, and of course, Jennifer's doing a fantastic job uh, carrying on uh, Dr. Roccobato's work along with Mark Strickland through the University of St. Augustine. Um, similar experience uh, for me. Um, I, I guess for me, what I, what I take away from so many of the great things Jennifer has commented on is uh, uh, Dr. Roccobato wrote a book back in 84 uh, where I think he touched upon uh, a lot of these things that uh, he also mentioned throughout his course, right? But you can only, you know, learn so much from one individual. Uh, so I think he did a good job, I'd like to say, teasing our palate, no pun intended, with things like, you know, tongue tie and lip frenulums and parafunctional habits, um, swallowing issues and, and how that can affect uh, the neck and the jaw and these types of issues. And of course, uh, you know, Jennifer's taken it to a whole nother level by continuing to, to look uh, and learn uh, as a myofunctional therapist to add to her repertoire. Uh, you know, for me, I, I look at those things as we've done some videos on this. You know, I look at airway, which Jennifer will be more adept at talking about, Malin Potty score, you know, looking at tonsils and, uh, uh, you know, a high, narrow upper arch, all these different things, lateral pharyngeal wall narrowing, things that we might look at to indicate that this is someone who is probably not breathing through their nose as well as they should. Um, and then seeking out professionals. Uh, there's a speech therapist in town here. Uh, Jenny Herklotz, that's a myofunctional therapist that we will then send our patients to to, you know, team up in that capacity. Um, but uh, Jennifer, what is what's your recollection of how this all began? You know, I I do recall meeting you through the University of Saint Augustine, but then I think we we did more with the AAOM 
OP. Right. And then Jan Dommerholt and the, the whole like teaching all the head and neck. Oh, yes. The dry. That's right. Yep. The dry needling. And that's really, we spent a ton of time together learning how to dry needle. And so I went back and taught with Jan and taught the whole class um, that technique of needling the head and neck of the facial muscles. And I met, I, I didn't, I hadn't known about the AAOP. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I met all, you know, all these great colleagues that are head and neck PTs. So it was, it's been since that one conference, I think in, uh, in, in Las Vegas, I think we were together and That's we right. just really bonded and I, it's just been great. Mike, Mike is just an awesome, awesome person period and a great PT and, and, someone that you can count on and is trustworthy and is always there to help. So I've really appreciated your relationship with, Same. you know, friendship and professional yep. um, relationship. Same feelings mutual. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's kind of fun to see, you know, uh, as Jennifer commented, you know, through, I think it was your daughter, you said, right. was the first, you know, so my son is now well, twins, but is 16. So when he was three, so whatever, 13 years ago, um, was realizing uh, to me he looked like he wasn't thriving you know he was tired by two three in the afternoon uh, definitely would go in at night and he's mouth breathing and took uh, uh, took a year to get sort of our pediatrician and some other people on board um, uh, f- uh, finally uh, took him to an ENT and, and agreed his tonsils were quite enlarged and and uh, which then of course uh, eventually led to his adenoids anyway long story short um, you know, proceeded to have his tonsils taken out, um, and then, uh, you know, had proceeded to, which sounds very barbaric, I know, but Jennifer can extrapolate on this, you know, tape his lips together uh, and help him learn to retrain and breathe through his nose and where to place his tongue and and all these things. And I I guess to me, what I see evolving uh, that Jennifer can talk more about is, you know, it's, uh, and Brady, you alluded to this conservative concept, um, you know, is it possible uh, had we been more focused on nasal breathing for him and other things, uh, that naturally we could have helped him, you know, reduce the size of his tonsils and eventually had to have his adenoids taken out as well. Uh, all I can say is, he, you know, he's thriving. I, I mean, I think either way you slice it, uh, he, he's, he's done very well. Uh, he's not tired anymore. He's grown and uh, his maxillary area developed nicely because of his tongue placement and all these things that Jennifer can, can elaborate on. How, how many of those conditions like that or a, a case like that, Jennifer, are, how are, I guess, could you explain to kind of our listeners, like how you would approach that, um, how, you know, with the tongue ties, I know there is a, a surgical procedure for that. Um, do you try to avoid that? Is no, there a- you know what? And that's a great question, Brady. I, my kids were both tongue tied and my son, my son who was two at the time, um, he had a posterior tongue tie. Posterior tongue ties, if you know anything about them, um, they don't look tied. They're kind of deep within the, the blade of the, the tongue and they only pop out if you go with gloved hands and elevate and traction the undersurface of the tongue, it'll pop out. And, you know, I had gone to four doctors that do phrenectomies, that's the procedure to release it here in Chicago. And they said, oh no, he's fine, he's fine. He couldn't talk. He couldn't, he was four and still not talking and had, you know, been to the hospital twice because of not being able to breathe well, needing steroids and 
um, I knew something was wrong, you know, and I, I said, you know what, it wasn't until I, you know, I trained with Mariano Roccabato every year. And one of the years, my son was three. Um, I should say he wasn't speaking at three. So at three, after our trip, I had asked my husband, because we were going through New York, if I could take Clyde and by myself to see Larry Cotlow, who's this doctor that pediatric dentist that's known for tongue tie. Because I was convinced there was something wrong. And he thought I was crazy and I, I left my family. He took my daughter who wasn't as bad as, as my son and I took him to Larry Cotlow's by train for, a, for just a couple hours. And he sat down and he took my son. He said, okay, Clyde. And he, he took him and put him on his lap, put his head right there and I had his legs and I held him down and he just pulled up his tongue and he said, see that? That right there is a posterior tongue tie. That needs to go. And I, I just started crying. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like so many people have said, no, he's fine. He's fine. But he could never articulate. He couldn't say Bella. My daughter's name is Isabella. Bella, Bell, Bell. Like he'd it'd be stuck on the bottom of his tongue. So that changed everything. He grew six. I felt like he grew like six inches that year. It was like insane. Like this this whole area and the growth hormone, he was able to, um, I mean, we worked on his myofunctional therapy. We worked on breathing training. We taped his lips. Um, we use breathe rights anytime they're ever congested. Um, and they both needed tonsillectomy, adenoidectomy. And I worked with a very skilled um, myofunctional therapist. Um, and she and I avoided the surgery. We got them deswelled. So you can change the life of your child. And I'm talking to every parent out there. You know, it's it's one of those things. The doctors all want to just cut things out. And that does help. It will really help their breathing for a short amount of time until the function starts to overwhelm the soft tissue again and swell it again. That lymphatic tissue will swell again if they don't go to nose breathing. So the taping at night, I know it sounds crazy. There's new tape now that Patrick McNone has de designed that wraps around the mouth so the mouth isn't covered. It's called myotape. I still use regular tape, 3M microboard tape on my kids. <laughs> and if I don't tape them, they complain. Then the morning they say, mommy, the tape came off. I didn't, I don't feel that good right now. I feel tired. So they, and if they see a snoring commercial, they say, mommy, they just need tape. Why don't they just wear tape? <laughs> so yeah. kids actually get it quickly. And if you can intercept these kids soon enough, kids are undertreated. Mm -hmm. People, parents think that kids should all be fine, that they're young and there should be no problem. Well, allergies and foods and, you know, people aren't eating the same way we used to eat and Parents are, are, are very busy. So it's like the, the, the allergies are really, really rampant in kids and they end up mouth breathing. And if they just start doing that for too long, their whole anatomy and their face and their body changes because they start breathing improperly. And we should probably be a little uh, clarify, right? I mean, the assumption is they can breathe through their nose. So uh, 
Yes. We're not recommending people at home tape their mouth shut <laughs> and you still can't breathe through your nose. So they're right. Could have deviated septums or like what Jennifer's indicating, you know, environmental allergies, pet allergies, all these things that might block your nasal passages. So you, you have to address that as well, I assume. Right, Jennifer? If you can breathe for a minute with your mouth closed, you can breathe through your nose. So that's the test. I always have people either taped or, you know, holding something between their lips and I time them for a minute. Mm -hmm. It's habitual if they, if, if they can breathe through their nose for a minute, it's a habitual problem. Mm -hmm. They can get the airway through their nose. Okay. Now, neurologically, they're in a pattern of breathing that's set in their brain that's very fast and through the mouth and through the chest as well. So that takes a lot to retrain, but structurally, if anybody cannot breathe through their nose for more than a minute, they have to be sent to the ENT. And I'm very strict about that because it's true. You don't want to tape anybody that can't breathe through their nose. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just quickly going over your uh, website and kind of the services that you, you have listed under the, the head and neck um, set portion of it, uh, it does look like it's everything from uh, pregnancy to infants and toddlers and children, which we just went over and kind of the importance of that and then all the way to uh, sports programs and um, things like that. So I think it's fascinating the kind of breadth that uh, you can kind of address a lot of these issues. And it sounds like some of these things, like you had said, um, kind of prevent the, the precursing symptoms to TMD and, and head and neck contention and all of those sorts of things. Um, how, if, if you guys could both kind of it sounds like your approaches and maybe what you treat it vary a little bit, even though you guys kind of come from the same background. Um, so can you kind of explain, Mike, like obviously you're, you're a, you know, the TMD guy, right? How much of, from that angle, do you come at most of your patients towards obviously Dr. Hobson coming at it from most of the breathing portion, but do you treat any TMD patients consistently or um, is that, more of like an underlying or a, a symptom of what you believe is the underlying cause that you would treat, uh, Dr. Hobson? So the problem with the jaw is mm -hmm. that it's, it's dependent on the tongue and the tongue. And this is my opinion is that if the tongue loses its resting posture, the mandible slips back. If the tongue goes down to the floor of the mouth and you end up mouth breathing, you know, to mouth breathe, you have to have an airway through the mouth and the tongue has to be out of the way. So if the tongue goes down, the jaw shifts back and the jaw is no longer in neutral. So that, and it also draws the head forward and it creates what we call an airway posture. An airway posture, you know, the ABCs of CPR, you open up the airway, you kind of extend the neck. Well, many people are in that, that forward head posture all day. It's like an open airway posture because their, their body's finding that position because it needs to breathe. So if you function just like the shoulder, if you function with a protracted shoulder, you're going to end up straining all the rotator cuff muscles because you're not neutral. It's an axle of the, the car. If you, if you work with an axle being off, you're going to strain and cause friction and create load in places it shouldn't. So in my opinion, the, the, the tongue, the oral resting posture, there's a program I do for kids that work so well 
if they could just learn good oral resting posture and spinal posture and breathing in that position, their bodies will function right. So it's, it's all about getting the whole body connected to this tongue and mouth position and using your nose and swallowing with less facial tension. All of that together creates the right environment for function. And it's simple, it's not hard, but you know, people like to make things difficult, unfortunately. <laughs> so, yeah. So Mike, then how, I mean, you're, I, you know, maybe slightly different patient populations. I'm not sure. I guess, how are you approaching most of the things? And obviously it's been a breathing centered podcast, but mm -hmm. I guess just in your yeah. general practice, what have you found? Um, I, I mean, I think, um, uh, like Jennifer, I think we both, I, I would guess, guess that Jennifer sees a far consistently younger population. Um, but I, but I would say, you know, as Brady knows here, we see everything from, probably don't get anybody too much younger than three here to start, uh, but certainly see a, a fair amount of uh, six, seven, eight, ten-year-olds, a lot of teenagers, and then, of course, adults. So I guess I would say I attack it a little bit uh, differently if it's, uh, you know, uh, if it's a child. Uh, I completely agree with Jennifer on, I'm definitely assessing airway. So, you know, can they breathe through one nostril, the other nostril? I, I open them up with something called uh, the telescope and, and light it up back there so I can see, you know, are their tonsils inflamed? What, what does it look like? As Jennifer alluded to, their, you know, their head posturing, uh, she is absolutely correct. Most of these kids have very forward head postures. Their, their head is rotated back or extended to open up the airway because they can't breathe through their nose. So, so I, I try to, and then of course, more of a narrow facial development, all these different things I think that we look at. And then in addition with the parents there, ask them about their sleep quality. You know, is there, do you notice when you're at a hotel, is your child snoring in the room? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a huge believer uh, in, in, the, in this possible correlation of uh, poor sleep in children with ADD. So I often ask, you know, if their child is showing signs of that, can they focus, not focus? Uh, anyway, so that gets me down a, a slippery slope of uh, identifying enough markers. Uh, to possibly recommend a cone beam scan, which would indicate a lot of different structural things, um, but then start to get, you know, the team involved, you know, so the myofunctional therapist, their pediatrician, their ENT. From the adult side, I look at it a little differently, and I, th I think Jim and Jennifer will be able to comment, you know, to me, sleep, sleep is just such an important issue from, you know, chronic pain to mental health to physical well-being, blood pressure, obesity, diabetes. So, I mean, I, I think uh, coming at sleep is just crucial. I think we would all probably agree on that. From an adult perspective, for me, it's, it's again, still looking at airway um, uh, in a very similar fashion, um, but trying to be mindful of the fact that, well, somebody's now 55 or 60, you know, what are you going to put them through? Um, and and I, I'm always careful about, like I think Jennifer said too, you know, it's her opinion. Uh, you, you know, for me, I, I try to weigh, you know, I think there's a lot of correlations here with what we talk about, but we have to be probably careful of causation. You know, I always use my old man as an example. I mean, you know, he was Greek. 97, and when he snored, you could hear him probably five houses away, you know, so, so I mean, he still lived a, a good life, you know, could it have been better? Who knows, but it was pretty, pretty good quality. So I try to remind myself that, you know, how do you decide when it's appropriate to, you know, 
do some of these interventions and, and suggest these things. Uh, but I, I think maybe the bigger picture too, as Jennifer's indicating, the, the, I feel fortunate we're in a profession that allows us to look at the whole person and, um, and, and, and kind of think about how all these things are contributing to their overall well-being. And, and then from there, making some uh, decisions and assessments to help them feel better. So Jennifer, if you could um, kind of, uh, what, what do you think about, uh, about that? Do you have any comments on kind of sleep and um, what Mike said? Yes, yes. So people are just surviving. Honestly, I think they're just surviving. They don't really understand sleep. They don't really understand good sleeping postures. They don't understand that their mouth should be closed. Um, a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I, I know snore, you know, some people know snore. Mm -hmm. So when you know snore, your mouth is shut, right? So what happens when you know snore, if you try to snore through your nose, it's a, you, there's a, a, a suction in of, of air and it's, it's a lot more volume than a gentle inhale. So that's the, what creates a negative pressure in the airway, in your nose, in your throat, that the airway becomes compromised and unstable. There's a negative, because of the big volume breathing that we, we have, there's a create, it creates a negative pressure and it creates an, a collapse of the walls of, of the nose or the throat. And then the tongue, forget about it. If the tongue starts to fall back into the throat, you have another area of collapse. So um, it, it's sleep. If you, it, the, the most simple way to improve your sleep is to use a nasal dilator. And there's plenty out there in the market. The mute is something that we, we, we like. I kind of like it during the day if I'm exercising because that's bigger volume for me. If I'm biking, I like to use a nasal dilator. And then um, tape, some kind of tape. So that's the minimum to make sure that you open up the space for you to breathe through your nose because many people have upper, it's a URAS, it's upper airway resistance syndrome. When your nose is narrowed and you're trying to really force air through it, and it creates, it's like the precursor to sleep apnea. It's not, it's not good. And I, I probably have it, but I'm, I'm working to, you know, reverse it. And that's what I really have helped many people is reverse their pattern of breathing so that they don't get deeper into a, a sicker problem such as sleep apnea or, or asthma. So right now I would say that the big sleep is one of the biggest problems that people have and they don't know it. And that's one of the, one of the reasons why um, I think people are just tired all the time, sick and tired, and they just don't realize they aren't sleeping well. And if they could just open up their nose and make sure they breathe through it and slow down your breathing. If you slow down your breathing right before bed for at least 12 minutes, it's supposed to reset your brain to breathe at that rate for the rest of the night. So it, you could do a lot right before bed and put a nasal dilator, tape your lips and, and, and sleep like a baby. And so you, that's what you would recommend. You'd recommend taping the nasal dilator for 12 minutes just before bed and then taking all of that off before bed and then just, no, going, no, no, oh. just slow, slowing your breathing, oh, okay. slowing the volume, making sure your diaphragm's working. 
making sure your chest isn't activated. You're not, you know, I, I have people put their hand on their chest, their hand on their tummy, so they're aware of where they're breathing. It's just like meditation. It's there's it's not it's not difficult, but people are <clears throat> stubborn and they don't want to do things. You know, people get a little lazy and they don't want to do things. It's just they like what our PTs beg beg our patients to do their exercises during the commercials <laughs> of their TV shows at night. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. So yeah, I have people breath holding to slow down their breathing while they're watching a movie and like, you know, so that all of that Buteco is all about breath holding and stopping our automatic pattern to, to breathe less. You got you have to have like a, a breathing diet and, and really work on it for a while. And it will condition your body to needing less air. And that for many people, people are like, what does that mean? How does that work? I'm like, yeah, if you, breathe bigger, your body's going to need more of it. You actually need less of it to actually help the oxygen disperse itself and distribute around all the tissues and the organs and your brain. You know, people hyperventilate and they get less oxygen to their brain. If they breathe less and through their nose and slow and low using their diaphragm, all of that reverses. Is, is there a greater absorption of oxygen through the nasal cavity than there is through mouth breathing? Is, is that true? Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 You actually get better oxygenation. If you mouth breathe, what ends up happening is that your, your CO2 levels decrease. So there's something called the Bohr effect curve. So when your oxygen, when you breathe in oxygen, it binds to hemoglobin, the hemoglobin bond to oxygen stays really strong if the CO2 is low and it doesn't allow it to disassociate and disperse itself. So the weird part is that you have the oxygen in your body, but it can't disperse itself. It cannot distribute itself. It stays connected to the hemoglobin. So you're not able to actually take advantage of it. So people need, they think they need more air and it's actually what they need to do is breathe less and slow and through the nose and, and, and that CO2 starts to ramp up to a normal 40 millimeters of mercury. And then your, your oxygen works well with that environment. So that's like uh, the, the Wim Hof guy that he's all about his 30 big breaths a day through the nose. And that's, it seems like that, that all explains why it works, I guess. You know what? I, I have not studied Wim Hof. I, I've, I've practiced it a little bit with some friends that have done it and mm -hmm. it's big, it's big breathing. So it's yep. not exactly Butego. It's through the nose, which is good. Um, you know, there's something to it. There's not, there's many ways to do things, but <laughs> Butego away is not, it's not big breathing. So okay. It's, it's gentle breath in, gentle breath out. It's always not, not, not a big forceful air in. Okay. That's, that's an interesting something that I did not know. So, um, so I mean, you talked a lot about sleep apnea. I think both of you guys on your website, you've got some, uh, it looks like patients that you've helped, um, get off their CPAP machines and things like that. Mike, you also see uh, a population of patients that, that has sleep apnea. Um, Mike, do you specifically like see patients to try to get rid of their sleep apnea or would you say, uh, not so much? I would say what I try to do is, is um, yeah, I think what Jennifer is articulating is so true, and I want to be careful, right? I don't want to offend any medical professionals, right? I, I just think that some of the things out there, uh, the CPAP and right there, 
they're a band-aid, right? I mean, they're they're important. I mean, you got to get air. So I'm not. I'm, I mean, they they're clearly purposeful, right? But you know, like Jennifer articulated, uh, it's a process to educate these people on what else they need to do to help themselves to possibly be able to wean from the CPAP. But it's work. It's right, Jen. I mean, Jennifer's time and work and effort. It's like anything else. Um, uh, but I think their quality of their life, uh, their ability to reduce their obesity through better sleep and, and oxygenation, as Jennifer's saying, um, I, you know, disease, it'd be interesting. I, Jennifer, I don't want to put you on the spot, and I, I'm not going to do a good job about it, but I've been talking with a gentleman uh, from Paris, uh, uh, Jean Michael and Tongue Lab, and, um, you know, they, they seem pretty convinced, even just with COVID, you know, the, that... If people were more mouth or nose breathers versus mouth breathers, and something to do with the release of nitrous oxide and all these other important things, uh, there maybe would have even been less transmission. But of course, you know, I don't know how they're going to test that. Um, but did you, do you have any thoughts on even just just the importance of? Uh, uh, so, so finishing your your uh, question, Brady. What I end up trying to do is is get them back to their physician to look at. Um, there's so many different ways, like Jennifer said, to kind of to, to go from this, but I do think it's an art to find some good ENTs and doctors in town that really understand sleep along with dentists to help improve the, the nasal passages. You know, Jennifer's trying to do it naturally. I was at a conference last weekend in, in South Bend, Indiana with uh, Dr. Uh, Daniel Clower, and Jennifer knows one of the pediatric dentists that was there, Dr. Kevin Boyd. And, uh, you know, they had presentations of uh, procedures ENTs will use with a Viver, which they'll go up inside the nose to basically shrink the soft tissue to see if that would increase uh, the airway through the nose. Uh, then, of course, they could go on and do more structural work to the uh, septum. And, you know, everybody's probably heard of sinusplasty and these other things that can be done to help uh, improve. Now, I know those are aggressive things. Um, so obviously I agree with Jennifer, there's things that can be done prior to that to improve their quality and avoid some of that. That would be great, but it takes work on the side of the patient. Can I add to that real quick, yes. Mike? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I had been doing Buteco for about seven years and I was a mouth breather, very high narrow palate, had my bicuspids taken out because I was crowded when I was 12. And I didn't have a comb beam until Dr. Clower, Clower was like, Jen, you should get a comb beam. Let's take a look at your nose. Mm -hmm. And I showed him my, my, my CT scan and he's like, oh my God, Jen, your nose, you can't breathe through the right side. And it had been something I had not realized. You know, you just uh -huh. don't realize these things. My sinus cavity, I had a layer of gunk on the right side. Just like for some reason it was there, was not sick during the CT scan. But I had, it's one of those things, those comb beams. Mm -hmm. If you are miserable, you got to get one because A, a you can see what the volumetric measurement of your throat airway space is, how bad and bent your nose was. Yep. I had a bone spur that was blocking my nasal passage on the right. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I was working nasal breathing and I was doing better, yep. but it wasn't until like two years ago, I ended up seeing um, Dr. Clower's uh, recommendation, Dr. Liepert. Yep. Um, he, Doug, he was there. He was at the conference. Yeah. Nice guy. Wealth of information. Nice guy. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. he, you know, he did, he has a different way of doing things because right. he won't put you under. He, right. he, you can, but I wanted to, 
I didn't want to be completely put under. I wanted mm -hmm. to talk through it. Mm -hmm. I remember at one point he's like, okay, Jen, just calm down. I'm going to, there's going to be three knocks, knock, knock, knock. <laughs> That's when he like cut this part out. Yep. And I, I did great. And he doesn't, he doesn't stuff the nose with packing, which I didn't mm -hmm. want. So mm -hmm. I, I was happy to go through that process. My nose is much better. Mm -hmm. Um, I am not perfect. You know, I, I, if my, if my cold hands and feet start to occur, I know I'm like, shoot, I'm mouth breathing mm -hmm. you know, cause I'm a mouth breather that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so much better, but I'm a breathing patient and many of us are and don't realize it, but you know, eating, you have to be good at knowing what foods plug your nose, like red wine and chocolate is it's, forget it. it it plugs me right away does it mean that i always avoid it no because sometimes i want it right you know, so there's there's that so it's mm -hmm. it's really it's tricky but i know what i need to do and it's up to me and i'm much better but if i could i could be even better you know if i avoided certain foods dairy gluten you know wine red wine anything milk uh, chocolate forget it um, but th those types of things, I think, are really important to understand. But the comb beam is a hidden thing that you realize if you can get the volume of your throat and your throat is less than 100 centimeters squared or millimeters squared, shoot. Anyway, the, the minimum, you don't want to be under the minimum because your body's going to clench to open up that airway space in your throat. That's what our bodies do. Our bodies try to create more space it's always trying to breathe regardless of the, the the structure so if you are compromised here your body reacts by clenching and guess what that ends up giving you headaches and tmj mm -hmm. so if you don't address the tm the the breathing and the airway issue it's like a vicious cycle but you know for years i would be correcting people's upper necks you know and rockabato's techniques is all about the cranial vertebral angle getting everything right but people would pop right back into a forward head because they're compromised here uh -huh. so that's when all that tongue training to the back of the throat you want the tongue to really support the back of the soft palate so it doesn't drop and you got to make sure your tongue is flexible so if you have a tongue tie you got to prep it you were asking me about prepping for a phrenectomy or a phrenectomy. What do I do? I, I, I highly recommend phrenectomies only if you're prepared. And what that means is you got to be serious about doing tongue training for four weeks prior to and let your myofunctional therapist tell you when you're ready. Because mm -hmm. you might be doing four weeks of kind of <clears throat> not the greatest therapy at home because it does take at least twice a day, a set of exercises that take probably 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. People I, don't like doing that, but I, I wanna... if they do it, they prep it, they lengthen the, net, the, the tongue so it's ready to be released and the tongue is used to being up. Mm -hmm. It's not a tongue that is low and is used to being mouth breathing, yep. low tongue in the mouth. You want the tongue to be used to nose breathing with it resting up in the proper position. So we do that for four weeks. We, we have the pa patient get it released. We have them come back twice for the next two weeks right after the procedure to make sure the wound heals vertically and that there's no reattachment. And then we continue myo 
for at least a month, maybe mm-hmm. two. And, 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 you know, until they hit their milestones of being able to swallow without tension, rest without tension, um, that their tongue fits, you know, that, that it's not lazy and weak. Tongues can get toned in the mouth. They can. You can actually make them skinnier, if you can believe that. You can. Um, they just kind of stay weak if they stay inactive. It's a great point. And I, I want to echo what you said because I feel like, unfortunately, with COVID, uh, during this time where people maybe still chose to get the frenolectomies, right, uh, but didn't follow through on the myofunctional therapy and would scar down. So I, I want to, you know, echo your comment about prehab before and then crucial after. And, um, you know, in my humble opinion, you know, this is where I have a problem with telehealth. Uh, it's wonderful. I can show them where to put the tongue and some of the things to do, but I still don't think there's anything like having a skilled clinician work intraorally to, you know, work the floor of the mouth and, and uh, you know, the incisional area. I don't, I don't know if Jennifer agrees or disagrees, but uh, I, that's the only thing. It, it's a commitment, and I wish people would, you know, not saying they don't take it seriously, but have to do the before and after so they can have the most successful outcome and not be disappointed having gone through that. Yeah, and it's yeah. like you have to talk to these phrenectomy doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a few on board. Uh, there's still plenty of people just releasing tongues yep, and then saying goodbye, and you can do these exercises, and they give them a list, and they hope that they do it. Mm-hmm. And, like, and no one wants to move their tongue when it's cut, right? You're right. like, oh, my right. tongue, you know? So they're scared, and out of fear people do less right right and and, and so i think jennifer we're too, like right? their coaches we're like you can do it and we make sure that they do it properly but th- there's a lot to softening the floor of the mouth making sure that the tongue is stretched as long as it possibly can at the right time we use this little paper um, that helps us lengthen the tongue uh, and that we give it to them for home so we kind of guide them it, it heals in two weeks mm-hmm. well the majority of yeah, it heals yeah. in two weeks. Like yeah. the, it, it, the, the, the sides of the, the incision will come together. You want to, like, we just saw, we see infants at my practice too. So we, we, we see all the way from, you know, right. I saw one week old the other day mm-hmm. and they, they had um, a lip tie. They came instead of two days after they came a week after their phrenectomy and they had they had, were given exercises from the office, the pediatric dentist. And I said, you know, I, no one told me they couldn't get in. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like when, when the front desk doesn't tell you that an infant can't get in, they got missed. Mm-hmm. So they, they healed that incision healed. It's a, like a little diamond that occurs right here right where they, you know, normally we work with people that use laser um, to release. And if the diamond and the lip start to kind of fold on itself, the, the, the place where the actual end of the incision will be is lower. So when the baby goes to flange, you know, when you, when you nurse, you need that lip to be completely up against that breast to have a good latch and not a superficial latch which ends up hurting mom and you don't get the, that much milk so they ended up having to redo it but mm-hmm. that that created 
a conversation to this pediatric dentist that now he understands. I said, I need them two days after because mm -hmm. things are still open. Yep. And I teach the parents how to kind of reopen things when they need to and how to traction the soft tissue so that they're, they, they, they keep it open as it's healing. Mm -hmm. That's the key. And, and it's the hardest two weeks of a parent's life to go through phrenectomy care post procedure. I've gone through it twice. It's not easy. The kids are crying and upset and it does hurt but you know it's for their good and it's for their airway health for the rest of their life. Yep, yep. Great point, a great point. Yeah, and so, I mean, based on the conversations with you guys and pr pretty much every other knowledgeable person that we've had on this podcast, I think the the broad point is is, is get get your group of uh, skilled, skilled interventionists, the, the conservative care, the preventative care, um, when you do need the, the surgeon, make sure you have the right community of people around you. Uh, Jenny, one question I did have for you is that um, you're doing a lot of the a lot of this teaching, and I assume you're teaching a lot of the techniques with breathing and um, how to do that kind of around the country. When could we? When do you think we could expect that in in every state um, you'd be able to find somebody that? like yourself that that you could reach out to is that are there others uh like you that most of the population would be able to find or are they going to have to for the you time know, being specifically reach out to these um you know very skilled therapists that have these specialized trainings i that's a good question so my hope is that through the hobson institute i can train a lot of pts pts need to go in this airway world especially Anyone that's interested in the neck, anyone, of course, that's interested in TMJ need to know that there's a whole world of airway that is, is kind of a big, big, important part. Um, unfortunately, right now, I can probably name a, maybe, Mike, did you take that, that course, the myofunctional course? Not yet. Mm -mm. I've, yes, I've been Mark reading. took it, mm -hmm. Lenore uh, Morrissey, um, there was... Cynthia Peterson and um, Valerie Sinkis, there's like, there's like five, right? Mm -hmm. And, and it, the problem with myofunctional therapy is that the cost of the course to, to become a myofunctional therapist is about $3,000, that course oh. to start. It's a four day course and it's really, it limits why people are taking it. And I'd like to create at least an introductory course so that PTs will get interested and then they might be able, you know, to get into um, the airway world and want to take the course because it's the courses around breathing and airway. Um, I will tell you there's, when you take them, it's like you start understanding the body even better. Um, the Hobson Institute right now, I have, Lenore Morrissey that works in California, but she's helping me teach the breathing clinics. We are able to do myofunctional therapy through telehealth. So people that all over the states that can't find a physical therapist in their area, they can, they can contact the Hobson Institute and get at least telehealth going, which is something, yep. you know, I, I will tell you it's, it's, PTs that know this area that do the TMJ and the myofunctional understand the whole body as a unit. And, you know, I incorporate the whole 
the spinal posture. That part is critical to really creating the right airway position and airway patency. But yeah, no, it, right now there's not enough of us, but that's why I created this, this institute because I feel like there's a void. And um, the, the courses that I'm teaching, I'm, I'm teaching to the public because I think I really wanna help people get through poor sleep, sleep apnea, asthma, all those symptoms of breathing. Um, but then my goal is to really reach out to the PTs, the chiros, the, the um, medical doctors, the speech pathologists that want to learn from a PT standpoint. I'm, I'm open to teaching whoever wants to learn this um, that has the proper license to do it. So I'm, I, I think that it needs to grow and the PTs, in my opinion, are the best to do it because we understand the whole body as a unit. Well, that's good to know. I wish you luck in kind of spreading that knowledge because it sounds like uh, it could be critical to a, a lot of the population. Obviously, like you had stated, most of the people probably have these, some of the issues and don't address them. So, all right. Um, I, I think we'll wrap up a little bit here. Uh, Dr. Hobson, thank you so much for coming on. Mike, thank you for coming on. Yep. Jennifer, thanks a ton. Good to see you. Keep up the great work. Keep is up it, the good fight. Is there, an, is there anything else that you'd like to pitch other than the Institute or um, anything else you've got going on? Um, you know what? If if anybody is suffering through what they, they know of breathing problems, such as snoring, um, sleep apnea, chronic fatigue, feeling tired all the time, cold hands and feet, um, asthma, ADD, ADHD, all those symptoms... I would recommend that they go to the hobsoninstitute.com um, and go to the breathing clinic. That area, you will learn all the online programs that I have around breathing. And I highly recommend that you, you, you start the pro process, at least online. They're all pre-recorded. It's exactly what I teach in person or now via Zoom because of COVID, but it's it's what I teach and what it's, it's a great way to get the material and understand that it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to reverse. So, and for anybody listening, we'll link all of that information in the uh, episode notes and description. So, um, thank you again so much, uh, both of you guys. And I hope you guys both have a wonderful day. This podcast is brought to you by Freedom Physical Therapy Services, providing one-on-one -on -one comprehensive physical and occupational therapy services, including women's health, chronic pain treatment, TMJ, and more. With four locations in Fox Point, Grafton, Brookfield, and McGuanago, Wisconsin, more information at freedompt.com.